The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And it's from 1 Timothy chapter 1, from where the gospel word of pardon came uh, that was shared earlier. Just go with me to 1 Timothy 1 and verses 3 and 4. As this is Paul writing to Timothy, who is headed back to Ephesus in a ministry of church revitalization. This is what he says to him in these two verses. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, I want you to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So I think I know what is in the minds of some of you that did not read the midweek, the Briarwood B-Mail. You're saying, Harry, okay, we had the National Missions Conference. Why are you haven't finished the Apostles' Creed yet, Harry? I know what you're thinking. And I appreciate you thinking that way. And I promise you, I am going to fe- I am going to finish it. I know I have at least two more sermons in it, right? The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So we're headed there. You just hang on. I promise we'll get there. But coming out of national mid, let me try to explain this. You will remember last year. I know it just seems like yesterday. Actually, it seems like another lifetime. We introduce our ministry theme for the year, lifestyle, um, the stewardship found faithful from the text that you just confessed. And I did five sermons on lifestyle stewardship. And then we brought an end to it to go into our world missions and then into Easter. And then, lo and behold, COVID. And that, and because of the dynamics, I have really been led to deal with the essentials of the Christian's life through the 21 sermons uh, in the Apostles' Creed. So that's where we've been. So I want to I want to navigate back to this to our theme of stewardship, acknowledging that the first five sermons were focused on the on the biblical concept of stewardship and with a focus upon personal stewardship. And this is different. This was different this morning. This morning, we go into three sermons again on lifestyle stewardship with the exhortation biblically. The one thing required of stewards is to be found faithful. I I want to go at it, but not individually. It will have ramifications individually, but I want to go at it corporately. What is the stewardship that God has required of his church? What is our stewardship As a church, I can affirm to you 
that I cannot cover everything that God would hold us accountable for as stewards, as a local church manifesting Christ's glorious, redeemed church in this world. But there are three things I want to address that I think are absolutely crucial for multiple reasons. I hope you get it, some of those reasons, in just a few moments. But I want us to go at it for that purpose. We're coming out of our National Missions Conference. We're going into our every member commitment season as a steward of Christ. How do I commit my time? How do I commit my talents, my spiritual, physical, mental gifts and abilities? How do I commit my uh, my treasures, my tithes and my offerings. That's what we get the chance to do every year to give our deacons the information they need for us to do inventory of our own stewardship. But why do we do it? We do it because our time and our talents and our treasures, our spiritual resources, our gifts, our abilities are brought together as the body of Christ and devoted to something through the ministry of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. What is that ministry? What is that mission? What is it that God has called his church to do, and what does it mean to embrace it as a congregation? When the Bible talks about you as a Christian, there are many word pictures. You're called a sinner. But why? Because we're saved by grace. You're called a saint because God's grace has set you apart. You have been forgiven of all of your guilt and your shame. You have been set free from the power of sin. You have been, you have been redeemed from the penalties of sin. You are being sanctified by the grace of God in terms of leaving the practice of sin, and you're being prepared for eternal life with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth in which there's no presence of sin. You are, in fact, not only a sinner saved by grace, but because of grace, you're a saint set apart by the grace of God, declared righteous in Christ and forgiven of all of your sins. But you're not only a sinner and you're not only a saint. You're also a soldier in the army of the Lord. Well, what's that army supposed to be doing? His church. And you're not only a sinner and a saint and a soldier. You're a servant in the body of Christ. What is that body of Christ supposed to do with servanthood? And you're not only a servant. You're a steward. And no steward will ever be profitable in the kingdom of God, but we can be faithful. We can be found faithful. What is required of a steward but to be found faithful, to hear Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, where do you start with stewardship in Christ's church? Together, where do we start? Folks, the key is where you started on personal stewardship. I'm going to, this is not provincial. This is truly a statement from my heart. The best discipleship tool I know of to take people through to help them grow in grace as a Bible-framed, Spirit-filled, Christ-centered, God-glorifying Christian, the best instrument I know is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It teaches you the stewardship of life. Well, question, Pastor, how does it start? 
It starts giving you the stewardship of a Christian life through discipleship. And the first step of discipleship is to explain why you are here. Why are you here? You are not here regardless whether regardless of Darwinian evolution. You are not the chance explosion of some of some atoms. You are, have been made by God in his image. Why? For what purpose? More than that, you have not only been created by God with life, you have been saved by God to a new life. Why? Not only have you been made for life, not only have you been saved Every single day you are sustained by the hand of God that you've got the breath of life. Why? Well, the catechism does it well. Drawing from the scriptures. The chief end of man. The chief purpose of man. The chief mission of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, those are not two missions. That's one mess. Two sides of one coin. And that's it, that, that you glorify God and enjoy him. That, that's one mission. That's all. That's why it doesn't say what are the chief ends of man? What are the chief purposes of man? It says what is the chief end singular of man to glorify God? That's your relationship in life. And that is your and that is your responsibility. What is your responsibility in life? Glorify God. What is your life invigorating relationship that you might enjoy him? And the more you glorify him, the more you enjoy him. And the more you enjoy him, the more you glorify him. And when you get that down, now you're ready to make decisions about your marriage, about your job, about your finances, about your gifts, about your talents, about your treasure, your calendar. Everything now is determined by what you understand in that statement. It is no different in corporate stewardship of Christ's church than it is from personal stewardship. Corporate stewardship, that is the stewardship of Christ's church, is determined by why Christ's church is here. Christ's church is not here to be here. It's here for a purpose. Christ's church is not here simply to stay here. It's here for a purpose. Well, what is the purpose? Well, where did you go to find out your purpose in life? You went to God's word. Did you hear what the text said? I charge you to teach them and give them God's stewardship by faith. Where does faith come from? Come on. Where does faith come from? The hearing of God's word. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. So how do we find out our mission, purpose, existence in life? By going to God's word and us being informed by God and our faith that God's word is true. And therefore, I build my life on God's word. My marriage, my family, my job, my existence, all of it is defined by that. Well, what's true personally is also true corporately. Christ's church has its mission, not from its pastor, not from its elders, not from its members, and not from the world. We have our mission from God himself. God himself has given us with great clarity why we're here. The church of Jesus Christ was purchased by the blood of Christ. Why? 
The church of Jesus Christ has been built by Christ. I will build my church. Why? The church of Jesus Christ is declared to be triumphant. Why? Because why will the gates of hell not prevail against it? Why is that true? Because it's got a mission. Not only does it have a mission, it has a message. Not only does it have a message, it's got ministries. So I just gave you the next three Sundays. (laughs) The stewardship of our mission. The stewardship of our message. What a better Sunday to talk about that than Reformation Sunday. And then the stewardship of our ministries. Now, we're ready for personal stewardship in every member commitment. Because our personal stewardship is funneled through the corporate stewardship of what has God called his church to be and to do. What is it that we exist to do? Well, folks, listen, uh, Briarwood uh, doesn't sneak up on you. Uh, we put it right up front. We tell everybody what our mission statement is. And by the way, this is very telling. Our mission statement has not changed for the 60 plus years of our existence. It hasn't changed at all. It's the same one. You've had two pastors. The mission, the mission did not change when you got another pastor. Why? Because the mission doesn't come from the pastor. That's why. I mean, we can talk about style and ministry and everything. I mean, that, I mean, believe me, I know that change. You know, Frank's got, he was our 40 year founding pastor. Praise the Lord. He's got a personality. He's got a style. He's got strengths. He's got weaknesses. And then, um, you were given the challenge of Harry Reader's your pastor for 21 plus years now. And, um, and he's got his strengths and weaknesses and personality and everything. But the mission didn't change. Cause why? My mission as a pastor is the same mission as Frank's mission as a pastor because we're pastoring Christ's church and Christ gives us our mission. We don't give it. Now we can communicate it. We can teach it, but we don't give it. The elders of the church can oversee it, but they don't give it. The members of the church can enable it and engage in it, but they don't give it. And the world doesn't give it. Christ gives us our mission. And he gives us our message. And he has outlined for us our, min- our ministries. So we don't, we don't, we, we, and let me go back to this just for a minute. You know, one of the things that would pain me is, well, our church used to do, our church used to have this mission and we got a new pastor and now it's this mission. That, then you got the wrong pastor. Or you had the wrong pastor. It was one of the two. Because the mission doesn't come from the pastor. You know, when, when I came here, there were a lot of things that had to change in my life. One phrase that I used all the time when I pastored in Miami and in Charlotte, I used it all the time. I can't use that anymore. One of my favorite phrases was this. Can I be frank with you? That has totally disappeared out of my vocabulary. I can't use that phrase anymore because I can't do that anyway that that's a, that's a that's a mountain too tall for me but i i can communicate to you what frank communicated to you and that is why does briarwood exist and the reason it hasn't changed is because god's word doesn't change and we we have this stewardship as a church of our mission from god's word we tell every new members class 
We say it every missions conference, national and international missions conference. We, we communicate it with a motto. We put it on everything we publish. We do what we can to, I even preach sermons on it. For God's glory, Briarwood is committed to equipping Christians to worship God and reach Birmingham to reach the world for Christ. That mission statement comes from four key texts, not only four, but four predominant key texts that has given it to us. The first one I would refer you to is Colossians 1. You see, here, folks, here's what a mission statement does. It answers four questions. I mean, sorry, it answers five questions. Who are we? Briarwood. What do we do? We do two things. We've got a vertical. We worship God. We've got a horizontal. We reach people. How do we do this? By equipping Christians. We disciple them. Why do we do this? For God's glory and for Christ. And where do we do this? We do it in Birmingham, but we don't do it in Birmingham only. We do it in Birmingham in order to send it to the world. Because we're to go to all the nations to be glad. That the nations would be glad to hear about Jesus and we exist to give them that glad news. So that, that's why we do that. Now, where did that come from? Well, it came from Colossians 1.18. Christ is the head of the church and he is preeminent in all things. God's glory and for Christ. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. It comes from... Um, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. And you, Christ's church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. Our Jerusalem is Birmingham. Our Judea is Alabama. Our Samaria is North America. Our world is our world to get the gospel there. And perhaps the most definitive is the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is in all four Gospels, but the definitive work that we have in Matthew 28. I know you know it, and I know you know where it is. Would you turn there with me just for a moment this week and next week? Go to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. I love this verse. Uh, I love this verse because here is the owner of... Of the church. He bought us with his blood. Here is the designer of the church. I will build my church. Here is the power of the church. Who has sent us the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says to us. This is why you're here. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even, even to the end of the age. What a glorious text. He tells us our mission. He tells us our ministry. He tells us our message, and he promises to be with us, to do it. He even gives us the duration of this message, this this mission. How long are we to be accomplishing the mission he's given us to the end of the age? This is, okay, 
Here's the church does this in the first two centuries. And then here's what it does after that. Or the church in Kansas does this and the church in Kenya will do that. No, no, no. This is what he has given to his church in every culture, every generation until he comes again. This is what you do. Make disciples. There's one imperative. Now, now listen, I was raised where I, I got I got that wrong because my church was so committed to missions and evangelism and the preacher would stand. And and I remember that one sermon I've shared it with you. Some of you, some of you haven't heard it. I remember that sermon growing up on on, the, on this passage of scripture in which the preacher started going. I, I thought he was going to go into apoplexy or the or the chariot it was going to make a return trip to take him up. He got so excited about it. And he said, the most important word in the Bible is in this passage. And that most important word is, what do you think he said? Go. And then he started. You take the go out of gospel, you got spell. You take the go out of good, you got odd. You take the go out of God, you just got D. I was just wondering how long he could keep that up. I mean, the whole 35 minutes, I didn't know. But then I go off to seminary and I find out that's a participle. It's really as you're going. There's three participle, going, baptizing, the teaching. And it's not, none of them are the imperative. The imperative is make disciples. That's the imperative. That's your mission. That's why you're here. You're not the state. You're not the family. You're the family of God, the army of God, the body of Christ to do this mission. Now, steward it. When I come, you do this until I come again. I'll be with you. And when I come, I want to find you faithful. This is the mission I've given to you. One mission. The imperative is make disciples. One imperative, one command. Then, then he gives us the four ministries that we need to engage in order to accomplish the mission. What are the four ministries he gives us? Well, the first one is evangelism. Going. Seek to save the lost as you're going. Notice, he doesn't command us to go. He expects us to be going. He commands us what we're supposed to do when we're going. Make disciples. But he expects us to be going to the highways and byways with personal evangelism to seek and to save the lost. Now, listen, folks, we can have programs of training. We can give events for evangelism. We can do all of this. But listen to me. The church cannot do evangelism to make disciples if you are not evangelizing. You've got to share your faith with others. We can train you. We can give you opportunities. We can create bridges. We can do all of that. But we can't speak for you. Don't let the world silence you. Speak Christ. We're here to equip you to do that. So you'd have a ministry of evangelism. Then what about when people come to Christ? Bring them in. They've lived in the orphanage of sin. Bring them into the family of God. How do you do that? They were baptized and added to the church. The believer and the household were brought into the household of God. Enfolding, 
And can I just stop and say, I, I want to. I am overwhelmed as a pastor. I'll, I'm, let me go ahead and say this, to be honest. I am not satisfied with mine or your performance in evangelism. But I will tell you this, I'm overwhelmed by how you enfold people. New, I love the way you love new people. <laughs> I love the way you love people. I love the way you shepherd each other. I love the way you're doing it. I'm not perfectly. I'm not, we got room for improvement. But I mean, can I say something else? I love the way you love the older people, the founders of this church. They're not just forgotten. I love all of that. So I thank God for it. But we can excel still more. But not only is there the ministry of evangelism and the ministry of enfolding, the third thing he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is equipping ministries. Evangelism, enfolding, and then equipping. Equipping them by teaching them. That's to, to disciple. You have to evangelize. You have to enfold. And you have to equip. Fourthly, Harry, you've just run out of room. Where is your fourth one? There's only three participles. Well, let me ask you all a question. Did Jesus disciple anybody while he was here doing his public ministry for three years? Yes or no? Okay, good. You're, that, that's good. You're almost Baptist with that one. That was good. Now, let me give you a second question. The 11 that are listening to him, did he disciple them for three years? Now, question. As soon as they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him. It even overcame their doubts. They worshipped him. Exaltation. Can you think of it like the only sanctified sport that's in existence? Baseball. For us to do our mission, I'm going to mix metaphors. To do our mission, you can't get to first, first base is evangelism, winning people to Jesus. You get to second base by enfolding them. You get to third base by equipping them. And we've scored when those who were sinners who were coming short of the glory of God now desire to gather with God's people and give glory to God and praise to God. Then live lives as sacrificial, living sacrifices of worship for God. That's the ministries that we have. Evangelism, enfolding, equipping, and then um, exaltation. But one more thing. We got one imperative. Make disciples. We've got four ministries. One more thing. We got one message. To teach and preach and disciple with the whole counsel of God. Teaching them to observe. What's the next word? All that I. Now, the lead in that message is the gospel. The circumference is the gospel. The center is the gospel. The substance is the gospel. You never go beyond the gospel. But you can go deeper, higher, wider, and further with the gospel. And its implications in our life as a foundation, as a formation, as a motivation in our lives. So here is the gospel ministry that is ours. We have a mission as a church. That's why we capitalize equipping Christians to worship and reach, enfold, 
and love and reach with the gospel of saving grace in Christ. And no program can do it. The stewardship of this mission rests with me and you. Do we embrace it together? Can I tell you the key to diversity is to do this with no discrimination. Just reach everybody within the sound of your voice. Where did Jesus say to spread the seed? Whole field. Rocky ground, thorny, everywhere. And then you disciple those that... And you know what brings unity? Unity is not that we have diversity. Unity is we who were not a people have become the people of God. Man, I played on sports teams. You would not believe the diversity. But we were one. Because everything we used with our gifts and our abilities was on that field. And there was, just watch those, watch, look at the, watch, do any of y'all watch football here? Do any of you worship football here? Be careful. But you watch the sidelines, score comes. Look at them just hugging and, with a mask. Look at them hugging each other. Look at them patting each other on the, watch them. You don't see them clumping up ethnically or demographically or socially. You hear them coming together because together we got the mission done. The mission brings the people of God together who have come to Christ because the mission came to them. And the mission came to them with the message that Jesus saves. Well, uh, let me just, in order to be timely this morning, let me just do a little bit of cutting here. And, and uh, let me go to something very contemporary right now. Um, and, you know, in a way I hesitate, but in a way I, I, I have to. Pastor, okay, can I ask you a question? If this is our mission to make disciples through those ministries of exaltation, evangelism, enfolding, and equipping. If that is what we're doing, the ministry of upreach, worship, the ministry of outreach, evangelism, the ministry of inreach, enfolding, the ministry of downreach, uh, and that is uh, discipling. If that's what we are doing, and that's what we're called to do until Jesus comes again. May I ask you a question? Because people ask me this, Pastor. I'm saying this rhetorically because I get asked this. Is Briarwood a missional church? Are y'all missional? Well, there would have been a time I would have more quickly said yes. Uh, that time has passed. And the reason why there was a time where I would have said yes is because the historic use of the word missional. The word missional historically used to mean the lifestyle of a missionary. In other words, the missionary who had given themselves to fulfill the mission also embraced a lifestyle that enabled them to fulfill the mission. That was called a missional lifestyle. My problem is, is not that missional is a word that I don't like. My problem is what it has become. Because the value of the word missional that describes the lifestyle of someone who is on mission is directly related to the mission they're on. 
If they get on the wrong mission, then missional is no longer a good word. Beyond that, today, missional is no longer used to describe the lifestyle of those on mission. It has become the mission. We're missional. And that's the mission to say you're missional. But the reason that has happened is because the mission has been lost. This is not the first time. In the corruption of the world, the corruption got the church off mission. In the 13th and 14th century, and we had to have a reformation that we'll be celebrating next Sunday. The world had corrupted the church and it got off mission. In the lifetime that some here can even remember. The political and secular liberalism, not classic liberalism, which is good, but the political and secular liberalism of the day made its way into the church and it got off mission. And whenever you get off mission, you're going to get off message because the mission controls the message. And then you lose your ministries. And that secular liberalism and political liberalism led to theological liberalism and the loss of the mission in the church. And it's not on mission, therefore it's ministries. And its message have been adulterated. And I believe the same thing is happening now. The progressive message of the culture has led to a Amalgamation of progressivism in the church and now progressive Christianity has spawned the progressive gospel. And the progressive gospel message is that we have a message that will transform the culture. And now the mission of the church has become cultural transformation and salvation. I do not believe that's our mission. The church has a lane to stay in, but it produces Christians that go into every lane. And the only way we can produce Christians to go into every lane is to stay in our lane and on our mission. And if we lose our mission, we'll lose our message. And if we lose our message, we'll lose our ministries. Cultural transformation is a glorious consequence of our mission. It is not our mission. Our mission is not cultural transformation and salvation. Our mission is sinners salvation and transformation. That's our mission. And if we do it, when sinners get saved and transformed, guess what happens? Their marriages change. Their families change. Their neighborhoods change. Their workplace changes. Why? Because they're salt and light. The church does not become the Christian. The church disciples the Christians who go out. The church's mission is narrow and focused. 
Its message is comprehensive. We're teaching them to observe all that God Christ has commanded them. And if we stay on our mission of discipleship with the whole counsel of God, then what we produce is Christians that are salt of the earth and lights to the world. Then we produce Christians who know how to love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with God. But if we start taking their mission as our mission, then we don't produce Christians who are able to do that. We have truncated what God is doing. We are here to make disciples with a prophetic voice and a priestly ministry and the king and the claims of King Jesus in the lives of men and women. And we are called to make disciples with the message of the whole counsel of God. Let me put it this way. If we lose our mission, then we'll lose our message. Do you remember what I said? The world, the world has has found ways to corrupt the church's mission. The church got corrupted in the 13th and 14th century, so it lost its, it lost its message, and we had to have a reformation. The church lost its message with theological liberalism because it embraced what the world told us our purpose was philanthropically. And we're losing it again. Some churches believe their mission is church growth. If you believe your mission is church growth, it's just a matter of time till you come up with a pragmatic gospel that will put people in the seats. You'll adulterate worship from God-centered to man-centered. Just a matter of time. If we believe the purpose of the church is that people are counseled to self-esteem. Now, I'm all for self-esteem. But that's not our purpose. That's a consequence. Our mission, bad news, you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. We're going to say it the best way we can, but it's bad news. And there's only one that can save you. And we are here to bring him to you and you to him. And we'll do anything we can that you will know how much he loves you. And he will forgive you and change you. And change everything around you when he lays hold of you. That's what we live to do. That's what we're there to do. That's what God's called us to do. And when that happens, people's lives change. And it draws people in. Statistical growth is a consequence. Self-esteem is a consequence. If we believe we exist for the utopia of social justice, it's just a matter of time till we come up with a social gospel. If we believe that we exist... For self-esteem, we'll get a therapy gospel. If we believe that you, we exist to make sure you're successful in life, we'll come up with a prosperity gospel. The mission ultimately defines the message. And if you lose the message, you lose the ministries. Without the message, you can't do the ministries. Without the ministries, you can't do the mission. But the mission is crucial. That's why it's number one in this series. We make disciples through the ministries of upreach, exaltation, outreach, evangelism, inreach, enfolding, and downreach of equipping in the Lord and for the Lord. So that's where we are. I'd, I prefer to use another term other than missional. Here's, my, here's the one I would prefer. And it's no brilliant thing. It's just... What did we, where did we call this? The Great Commission. So who gave us the Great, why is it a Great Commission? Because who gave it to us?
And he gave it to us to the end of the age. So I prefer to say we're missioned, E.D. at the end. We've been missioned by Christ, the head of the church. This is why I put you here and I'm leaving you here to, to call, perfect and send and sanctify my people until I come again. This is why I have you here. So what is the takeaway? Let me give it to you in closing prayer. The takeaway is we want, this is pretty easy. We want to be on mission, on message, in ministry. I want to cover the last two with you in the next two weeks. But the first one is on mission, because if we're not on mission, we're going to get off message. We're going to get the wrong message, and we're going to lose ministries. We have to be on mission. Harry, why are you so insistent on this? Can I tell you why? Because I want to grow the church, but I don't want the mission to be church growth. But I know if we stay on mission, we're going to reach people. Because I want cultural transformation. I want it. I desperately want it. I want a culture that values life and marriage and gender. I want all of that. But I know the only way we're going to get that is when we do discipleship and teach people the whole counsel of God so they become salt and light. And like every sanctity of life, and you see ten ministries up here, eight of them have been started by people who were discipled here. I can take you to a prison that's a, a dorm you won't believe. how you can, you can sit in there and have a picnic with your wife and your whole family before they used to call it Fallujah. Do you know why? We didn't go in, we didn't go in with any other agenda except to bring gospel discipleship and the message and ministry of reconciliation to God and others in Christ. And the thing changes. I want cultural transformation, but that's not our mission. That's a consequence. I want people to see themselves as made in the image of God with a biblical concept of self-respect. I want people to be successful in life so that they can use that platform to give glory to God. But those are consequences of us staying on mission and therefore on message and in ministry. I want to keep the message. I don't want to lose our message to the progressive Christianity and progressive gospel. That means that we've got to stay on mission or we will lose it. And the world will give us our message. Listen, it's not the world. It's not the pastor. It's not the elders. It's not you. It's not me. It's not this society. It's not the media. No one out there gives us our mission and our message. Only Jesus. And I want to do that mission and that message because I love Jesus. And I love everything. I, uh, listen, I know this is. Um, that's, my, that's why I get out of bed. This is why I breathe. This is why I want you to breathe. You're in the only institution that's headed to eternity, Christ Church. Until it gets there, this is what it does. And this is what it says. And this is what God's called us to do. This is why we do every member commitment. Because we want to get this mission done. We want this message to be proclaimed. We know we're imperfect. We praise God that He's with us. Until the end of the age. He's working with us and working on us. 
But we love Jesus and we love his church because he loves his church. We love his message because he has given us the message. We love our ministries because he has ordained these ministries. We love the lost because he loves the lost. What we want to be is for coming generations, Briarwood desires to be a Christ-centered Gospel-driven and spirit-filled equipping church where every member is a minister and every member is a missionary. Why? Because we want to rescue the perishing. We want to disciple the redeemed. We want to send the people of God. That's why. The perishing. Those people in your family that don't know Jesus. Immediate and extended. Those people at work. They're not just, can I get them for the church growth? They're headed to a Christless eternity with absolute isolation and torment that's indescribable under the judgment of God. Can you imagine the first 30 minutes? And then know it's irrevocable. And we... Have been put here to tell them there's a Savior who loves you and gave himself for you. That's our mission. And he will change you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you please speak to our hearts? I ask you to speak to every elder, every deacon. Me, every pastoral staff, every member, speak to our hearts that we will steward this mission until you come again. And when you come again, we will be found faithful. We are not profitable, but we want to be faithful with the mission that you have given to us. And if today you've come to this place... But you've not yet come to Jesus and you know the place you're headed to and the emptiness in life until you get there. I want to invite you to Jesus. There is fullness of joy evermore. I want to invite you to the I want to invite you to Christ to be enfolded in the family of God, to be trained and equipped in the word of God by the power of the spirit of God to live life as a worship statement to the glory of God. Just come to Jesus just as I am right now. Just confess and come to him. If you want to talk with someone, don't hesitate to call me or any one of us that are here. We would love to talk and pray with you. Now, Jesus, would you, I ask you, keep us as a people on the mission so that we'll stay on the message. And we might engage in the ministries that accomplish the mission and send into this world believers who are salt and light, ambassadors for Christ, equipped so that whether they eat or drink or whatever they do, having been taught by the whole counsel of God, they will do to the glory of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. 
Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.